0: morning, well, it's wonderful to have you here. Grab yourselves a seat. Special welcome if you are a visitor here. If it's your first time, it's wonderful to have you here with us. Special welcome if it's your first time back in 2023. Wonderful to have you here with us. Um, good, good to have you here. I was actually panicked at 25 2 because we were still pretty empty. I was like, is anyone actually coming to church this morning? But thank you. Thank you for coming. Um, did I introduce myself? My name's Carolyn. I'm the vicar here, for those of you who are new and I don't know. We're going to do a couple of things this morning. After the kids go out, I want to lead us in prayer for um, the North Island in particular. Um, but we'll, we'll do that after the kids have gone out. But first, I want to talk, talk. And we've got a little bit of a quiz because we have a quiz night coming up in, in our church here. Now, we decided this week... We're gonna give all the proceeds from our quiz night to the recovery effort for the cyclone. So, you know, that's gonna be exciting. So that's, that's coming up, um, exciting to be part of the recovery. But this week, this week to get us ready in, in quiz mode, we've got a, a few questions. And this is where you can talk to your neighbor or talk to yourself if you prefer what do Christians often celebrate this Tuesday? Turn to If you don't know them, introduce yourself. so it's not weird. What do Christians often celebrate this Tuesday? Does anyone know the answer? Who thinks they know Tim? What is it? Shrove Tuesday. Shrove Tuesday. Tuesday, And I actually, I'm not entirely sure why it's called Shrove Tuesday, but on Shrove Tuesday, also called Pancake Tuesday. People often eat pancakes. Second question, why did, or in the past here in the past. Why did people eat pancakes on Shrove Tuesday? Turn to your neighbour again. Why did people... Does anyone know why did people, yes, why did people, do you think? Yes, so you wanted to use up all your eggs because people would go for the whole period of Lent, which is the lead up to Easter. They wouldn't eat eggs, which is why at Easter we have Easter eggs, which were painted eggs to try and make children eat all the eggs that they'd say from Lent. So that's why you use up all your eggs and then you go without eggs for Lent. And then Easter comes, you've got to eat all your eggs again. Now we have a problem. This is not an issue in New Zealand, using up all your eggs. So here is third question. Which of these can you not use as an egg substitute in cooking? Because if you wanted to cook pancakes this Tuesday, there's gonna be, for many of us, there'll be an issue. No eggs, egg shortage in New Zealand. Have a look, which of these can you not use as an egg subject? Tell your neighbour, what do you think it is? Then we're going to have a vote. Okay, now vegans are going to have a little bit of a head start on this. They'll know, probably, but we're going to have a vote. So be confident in your answer. Be confident. There's only one that you can't use. We're going to vote. Here we go. I'll, I'll run through them. If you think it's that one, pop your hand up. Peanut butter. Milk. Banana. Chia seed. Tofu. Chickpea brine. So that's snow that's now, isn't it? Yogurt, condensed milk, cornstarch, and pumpkin. The wisdom of the masses is pretty right. It's milk. Milk you cannot use. Now, all the rest, you'll find a recipe. Oh, here they are. I've got a picture. Here is all the... These are all manner of things you can find on the internet to tell you how you... Can do your egg substitutes. I'm going to change the slide soon, but you can study it closely now. Here we go. The um, I'll put it up after the service. People are interested. I can see. What is what is this magic? Um. So Tuesday, we often used to, before COVID, remember that old thing? We used to gather and have a big, um, you know, pancake Tuesday celebration. But this year, we are focusing on our guess who's coming to lunch, which is next week. And we don't want to try and make you come to too many things. Because, you know, if you're commitment phobic, that's hard. So our big focus is getting you together this Sunday for guess who's coming to lunch. But also, Lent starts And can I encourage you to do a Pancake Tuesday at home? You can invite your neighbours, anyone to come and have pancakes with you. But then on Wednesday, what we are doing, and we haven't done this also for quite some time, we are having an Ash Wednesday service here. Now, there'll be a whole lot of you that are like, what? What are you talking about? Ash Wednesday service is where we gather, and we kind of remember our frailty as humans and our mortality. It's quite a heavy service. Now we have it after work, six o'clock before dinner. Or if you're really good, you could fast. But anyway, it's six to six thirty. It's not a long service. It's not music. It's just quiet and words. And then you come up and you get an ash cross put on your forehead. And as that is done, there's some really intense words that are to remind you you're just mortal, one day you'll die. Remember this as we approach the cross. So that is that is Ash Wednesday. If you've never been, this could be your first time. Have a think about that. That's on Ash Wednesday, 6 or 6.30. So that is Lent begins this week. Now just, just before we get the kids out to go, last week I mentioned this book, Fight Like Jesus, really interesting book, and Leah, I'll get you up now, Leah, Leah decided she'd run a small group based on it. So we've photocopied the first chapter off, but Leah is excited. So, Leah, um, tell us. Oh, you've, you've got stuff written down. I'll just hand the mic to you.
1: Good morning. Um, this is my fourth Sunday here. So, um, yeah, I'm very new. And last week when Carolyn mentioned Fight Like Jesus and how we might like to read it as part of Lent, I thought, well, I think it would be more meaningful to have it as part of a group. So last week I offered to host a group. So um, at this point I don't know how many people will be interested or when people will be available, so I thought if people um, thought they might be interested, they could either call me, my name's in the newsletter and my phone number, or... Sign up in the foyer, and Carolyn has copied out the first chapter of the book for people to read or have a look at, but I thought that it might be helpful to read what the author says the book's about, Um, so a little passage. So he said, at the start of Holy Week, tears streamed down Jesus' face as he cried out, if only that you knew the things that make for peace. From that moment until a week later, when he triumphantly declared, peace be with you, Jesus spent each day confronting injustice, calling out oppressors, and contending for peace. We desperately need to recover the radical vision of peacemaking that Jesus embodied throughout Holy Week. And we urgently need to be trained in his way of making peace. Making peace was Jesus' most fervent desire for Holy Week. This book makes a bold claim. Jesus' lament is the interpretive key for Holy Week. His laments suggest the events of Holy Week are best understood when viewed through the lens of peacemaking. And it encourages us to see the central struggle of Holy Week as the struggle for peace. So if you're interested, there's a sign-up sheet or my phone number, you can text me. And so it will be over Lent, um, maybe on the weekend, maybe in the evening. I'll just see
0: who's interested and go from there. Thanks heaps Leah, and a great example, you don't have to be here for ages before you start volunteering around the place. It's great, now Leah lives in Brindwa, so for those of you who are in that part of town that could be particularly interesting. Right, so thank you for that, that is um, the beginning of Lent coming up, there's some things for you. Now kids who sound very desperate to go, kids and their amazing leaders can head out to their program. And for those of us who remain, why don't we stand, because we're going to pray for the North Island, the devastation from the cyclone. Let's stand, because we will begin, I think, with a lament, and so cry out to God. So let's stand as we pray together. God, we are told that you are good, that you care for us. And yet, we stand and look at the devastation of the last week and we are confused. Our hearts sorrow within us. But, Prince of Peace, I pray, come and show us how to talk to you about all this. Teach us how to pray and teach us how to respond. God, we lift up before you everybody in particular who has lost a family member or close loved one, God, their hearts will be breaking. And we pray, give them your peace and your comfort and your love. May they know that in this time of deep sorrow and suffering that you are still there, that you cry with them, that you will, their pain is not silent to you, but you see them in their suffering and you love them. God, for people whose houses have been destroyed, we pray for strength for them as they begin this cleanup. Strength for them as they face insurance hurdles. Strength for them as they look for new homes. Be with them, we pray. God, for leaders who now deal with this response, I pray give them deep wisdom. I pray for a big imagination, that they would see solutions. God, we know from our own experience here in Christchurch that there will be housing shortages, that rents will soar, that people will have to make hard decisions about whether they leave their hometowns. Be with them, we pray. God, we pray for the Red Cross, for Civil Defense, for other agencies who are now involved in the response. Thank you already for the pouring out of money for this. But we pray, God, that they would have everything they need. May it be enough. May their wells never run dry. We pray for those currently cooking, for those without food. I pray that they would have everything we need they need. And God, I pray for power to be restored, for communications to be restored, for bridges to be restored. And God, we pray for stamina because this will not be a quick cleanup. This will take years. We pray that along the way, lessons learned from Christchurch would mean that this is not a painful process for people. So God, we pray, be with them in their pain and their suffering, and stir in us and our hearts care and compassion and ideas of what we can do to respond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay standing as we gather our prayers together, as we sing the Lord's Prayer together.
2: I tell you, I tapu to I tell mai tau. ranga te ki, runga ki te To Cutting a mind. We're going to do a new one for us. So we'll just send it through and and then I'll start in the face again. Who else would rocks cry out to Mm -hmm. ocean? His glory taught the stars to shine Perhaps creation longed to have the words to sing But this joy is mine With a thousand hallelujahs we magnify your name, you of the glory more in a world spinning fast i just want you near many things take my eyes but i just want you near i want to know Sent to my heart, send to my mind, till I'm all available. Sent to my heart, send to my mind,
0: fix my eyes
2: on you. Sent to my heart, send to my mind, till I'm all about you. Stand to my heart, send to my mind, fix my eyes on you. Sense my heart, sense my mind, till I'm all about you.
0: Jesus, I pray, come and speak to us. Teach us how to center our hearts, our thoughts, and our minds on what it is you care about. Amen. Grab yourselves a seat. I had my formative young adult years in the 90s. So my heart sang today when we had beats. So it took me back to my rave days. The gathering for the singing of the millennium. Good times, good times. Is anyone else here? This anyone? I see that, I see their hand, <laughs> sister, bless you. Um... <laughs> Anyway, back to where we were. We have been going through the book of 1 Corinthians and finding out about the city of Corinth and you know the life that they tried to live. They'd heard about this guy, Jesus. He was the son of God. He'd died. He'd come back to life and that they could put their trust in him. Corinth, as I've been uh, explaining, was a... Um, In Greece, but a city made up of Greek people, of Roman people, and a number of Jews, and they had cultural clashes because of that. They fought over who was the leader, they quarrelled, and really they were just like everyday normal people. It was a relatively new city because the Romans had destroyed it when the Greeks had held out, and uh, it was left empty for a hundred years, and then Julius Caesar came and rebuilt. This grand new city. It was a wealthy city because it had two ports, which meant it cut out massive travelling times for our traders. So here is Corinth. It's wealthy, it's new, it's ethnically diverse, and these people have heard for the first time ever. Now at this point what we know of as the New Testament wasn't written. This is the writing of the New Testament, these letters. But the story of Jesus' life that we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they hadn't been written. So they just have to go off the stories which are you know, beginning to be noted down and passed along. And you know, they don't really know the teachings of Jesus. And they're desperately trying to explain to them, this is who Jesus is. This is why he is the Son of God. This is why you can trust in him. Today, we are continuing on uh, in chapter 3, and this is Paul writing to this church. He was the first person to tell them about Jesus. He has left, and now there has been someone called Apollos who has come. He's also taught them about Jesus. And we can see some of these tensions um, Coming out in this reading, but I want to pick up one theme particularly that comes through. So here it is because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God, And that the Spirit of God lives in you. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Stop deceiving yourselves if you think you're wise by this world's standards. You need to become a fool to become truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, He traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they are worthless. So don't boast about following a particular human leader. For everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death or the present and the future. Everything belongs to you. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. This is a tricky passage with lots in it. If this was, you know, a school exam, explain what this means. I think there'd be a couple of sharp intakes of breath. But I want to uh, do what I learned was a trick when you are doing Shakespeare. Pick up one line and expand on it. And the, the, the phrase I want to pick out, and I will, will talk about the rest of it, no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. This is a theme in scripture that God is the true foundation, and that Jesus as God among us is the true foundation for our lives. If we are looking where to build our lives, and this is both individually and collectively, if we are looking to figure out how individually we can build our life, how collectively we can build a community, Jesus is the true foundation. And this is fascinating because this is a person, that we're talking about. We're not talking about a list of principles, we're not talking about guidelines, we're not talking about rules or laws, we're talking about a person. Here is a person that you can build your life on, and it's through this relationship with a person that we develop this foundation. The thought of having this one true foundation that is there from the beginning of time I think is quite counterintuitive now in our culture. I was curious to see, if we looked at the wisdom of the internet, what would they say about building a foundation? And I found it very quickly in this website called theblissfulmind.com, how to build a strong inner foundation. And I thought it was fascinating what they thought a strong foundation, I think, was for. Sorry, the words are a little bit little, but I'll read it. The foundation is whatever you need it to be. Imagine your foundation is the very core of your being, your foundation keeps you grounded and plants you where you are as you make tiny steps to nourish yourself and prioritize your own needs. This doesn't actually make any sense. If you actually... The foundation is whatever you need it to be. It's at the core of your being. It's going to nourish you as you take little steps to meet your own needs. What what actually does that mean? But underlying it, I think there's this fundamental clash in values. If you read scripture, there is this constant theme. If you look at the life of Jesus, God calls us to serve one another in love. And boy, when we see the events of the last week, who are the heroes? It is these people who've gone out there and, you know, dug out people, rescued people. It's people who are serving, and we know that at the core of our very being, that true life, true meaning in life is found in the service of others, and, you know, all over the news. What are the stories we're telling? Are we telling the stories of people who are nourishing and prioritizing their own needs? No, we're telling the stories of people who've sacrificed a lot to meet the needs of others. I'll skip that. Here is another statement. Building your foundation isn't a one-time event. Habits will slip and you'll need to rebuild them periodically. Your goals may change, forcing you to change your foundation to suit them. What is a foundation if you have to change it when your goals change? Imagine every time you're like, I want to renovate my house, but first I've got to build a new foundation. So I need to change my goals, my color in life. I'm going to build a new foundation. This is... You know, just out there, the wisdom of the masses, and I think this is really indicative of where we're at at a culture we're a little bit at sea. What is the meaning and the purpose of our life? Where do we find truth and here it is you, you just create it and you build it and in there she's got you know tips and tricks for building your foundation, and it just sounds like a lot of hard work you know if you're going to build this foundation and then dismantle it and build it again, and you know there's, there's just there 's nothing that 's kind of the solid foundation that you build your life on it 's really just build your life and so here we have this claim that Jesus is the true foundation we can build our lives and trust in jesus and Paul, in this passage talks about the wisdom of the world as foolishness to God, and I want to just pause for a minute and go through. What is the wisdom of the world over millennia, throughout time and history? that says where you get your true foundation. And I think that we still also buy into this. This is where I can find my hope, my trust, you know, my true foundation in life. And the first uh, point I want to make is that we often try and find our foundation in an identity, Now in the past, your identity was given. It was given because of the sex you were born, male or female, that determined who you were. It was given because of your father's job. A smith, a tailor, a king, a peasant. That was your identity and it was immovable. Now we tend to think of you know, family identity as something that is you know, quite transient now, although people again are probably looking for where can I find my identity? I love those posters in our family. We jump in puddles. We say sorry. We do forgiveness. We hug, we love. People put them, here's our identity as a family. And then people go out into the rain and the kid jumps in the puddle. I told you not to get your clothes wet. This is a little bit of, you know, where we find our identity. But today, I think rightly we have questioned that. Surely my whole life does not have to be determined by whether I'm male or female, by who my father is or what he does for a job. Surely there is a way, and we have challenged that, and I think that is right. But we still haven't found out then. So where do we find our identity? And people are still searching desperately because this is where we've been told we find a foundation. I read this interesting uh, comment online by a man called Matthew Bart- Bartlett. Now he's a friend of mine on Facebook and I don't actually know who he is, but he makes really interesting points. We have lots of mutual friends, so I think he's a legitimate person and he has a good job. So I don't even know if I've got his name fully right. Usually I delete people I don't really know, but he's, he's got good quotes. He says, he says this, I hear a story everywhere, deep down inside each one of us is our true self, independent of biology, history, class, etc. And when we break all the chains that society shackles that true self with and express it authentically, then we'll be free and happy. This is the values of our age, and yet, high rates of depression, high rates of anxiety. We're a little bit at sea. And if you actually have a think about this, once all that's stripped away, people are still looking for their identity. Now I get sucked into this, I'm a fan of personality tests. Is anyone else here? I see those, yeah, there's quite a few. Enneagram, possibly three or maybe eight, ENTP, um, strength finder strengths, I'll tell you afterwards. But I'm, I'm a sucker for all of that, because you know, I'm looking, who am I? And then I'll tell people, oh, I do that this way because I'm, an ed- um, you know, I'm a T on the Myers-Briggs, that's, that's how. I'm not very feeling, that's how, you know, and here it is. I've looked online, I've found an identity, I've taken it, and it's not just personality tests, it's pretty much everything now. Anything to do with the human existence, there'll be a quiz online that you can fill in and you know, take your identity, and I hear this amongst young people. I read online about this and that's me. That's who I am. And sometimes these things are helpful describers. But we're so desperate to find this identity. And this is one of the things throughout history. It was probably easier when it was given. Now we've got this mess of we've got to find it for ourselves and make it meaningful. And it's it's hard work. The second thing I think has been consistent through all history. Wealth. People are like, if I just have wealth, I can build my life on that. And we see stories of the 1920s, you know, when people had become very rich globally, particularly in the United States, and then there was this huge crash in the Great Depression. And, you know, people took their own lives because their wealth was gone. You know, and if, if this is the foundation, you know, it comes and it goes, it isn't consistent. But we also see on the news all the time some of our wealthiest people, celebrities, rich people, again, taking their own lives because it's meaningless. This is the foolishness of the world where we are invited into the wisdom of God. This is not a foundation to build your life on. You will not find meaning and purpose chasing after this. Another one is power. Now, I'm interested in this passage because there's a bit in the middle of it that it sounds like it's talking to everybody, but actually when you peel it back, Paul is talking to the people who are claiming leadership in the church. And it's a warning to them. Be careful of this. You've got power because you have a position, but be careful. And this is, just to go back, this is what he says to people who would want power. Anyone who builds on the foundation of Jesus may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or But on Judgment Day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder, or you could say each leader, has done. The fire will show if a leader's work has any value. If the work survives, that leader will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the leader will suffer great loss. The leader will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. This is strong words. This week in the media we see played out the story of Gloria Vale. Here are five women in there saying we were treated like slaves. And here is the stern warning. Do not think that power is there to bolster you for your own advantage. The story of Jesus is constantly, you have power to serve other people. Don't use that as a thing that you bolster or build your life on. It's there to give away, to serve each other. And here is, again, firm words. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Words of warning for anybody who would seek a position of power and influence. You know, be very, very careful. The final one that I want to mention, and this may sound counterintuitive, because here we are, and I'm telling you, Jesus is the firm foundation. But here, I think, is one of the false foundations that people build their life on, and that is religion. I grew up a pastor's kid, and I saw this a lot. In church, you have this mix of people who are all there for different reasons. But it particularly became apparent and the policing of the length of skirts that girls wore, the length of hair that men had, the tattoos that people chose to get, ear piercings and so on. And it probably, you know, is all manner of things. But here we get in churches the sense that people are like, I'm here at church to put on a public display that we're making it in life because look at my children. They're all scrubbed up and looking amazing. And here I have a sense of I've made it in the world because all I have to do is look presentable to the world and therefore I'm okay. All I have to do is not watch the wrong television shows, you know, read the right books, turn up to the church meetings, you know, be presentable and tick, this is it. It's not really much different from a lot of what the world says, but it's got this sort of religious veneer over it. I went to a Christian school and years afterwards I was chatting to someone who was several years behind me and we were going through the various teachers that we thought were a bit nuts, of which there were. a few. Um, and he was saying how he was growing his hair a little bit long and the deputy principal said to him, you need to get your hair cut, that's not a Christian haircut. And we laughed and laughed and laughed because it's like, maybe everyone to turn up with hair like Jesus. I mean, it's just sort of nonsensical, but here's this veneer of niceness that people put over, and this is the foundation. And the problem is, and you see it, if you've got the black sheep in the family, you know, everything comes crashing down. How can you present yourself at church because we, we can't put on the show anymore that we're a family that's pulled together and all sorted out? And, you know, and th- this, is, this is not the authentic Christianity. This is not what we are called into. This is not the foundation that we are invited into. It actually reminds me, if any of you read Anne of Green Gables, you know, that the woman would come and sit and gossip with Marilla at the table. Oh, did you see what such and such were doing? Kind of that policing of everyone's behavior. This is the opposite. And this is one of the things that Paul was fighting against as he spoke to the Corinthians. There were people who were Jews who'd grown up with religion their whole life, and it was about following rules. It was about putting on a show. It was about looking acceptable. And Paul is like, it's not. It's not. Your wisdom, you think that's it, is wrong. It's foolishness. We are invited to trust in a person. So how do we do that? How do we trust in Jesus? The first thing is to learn. You know, that the presence of God, God's spirit is all around us and constantly inviting us to notice where God is at work in the world and join God there. And to encourage us to cry out, like the song says, cry out in worship, to acknowledge God with us, God's presence, and, you know, this, what am I meant to do now? It was during the week that I was praying about this whole Hawke's Bay thing. And I said to God, what are we meant to do? And very clearly, it was like, use quiz night, money. He was like, oh, yeah. That's the, the learning, the sort of chatting. It doesn't have to be anything spectacular. God is with us. God is present. And then the second thing is, we now have these stories of Jesus' life that we can study and examine and hear his words. And Jesus said this. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. We've had this ghastly display of, of this this week, but here's this invitation with our own lives. We don't need to be swept away. We can build our life, our hope, our trust on Jesus. We can learn to imitate Jesus. We can learn to hear his teaching. And that's why I think it's important to do things like, you know, go study. This is a reflection on the life of Jesus. What did Jesus do in that final week where he knew he was going to die? We can look, we can study, and we can learn to live like Jesus, to fight like Jesus, to bring peace into the world like Jesus—this is the bedrock on which we can build our life. This week, there is a reading from the Gospel set down that churches all over the world will be looking at, and I want to finish with these words because here is some of this countercultural, uh, challenging teaching of Jesus that we learn to put it into practice. We find a firm foundation and we challenge, you know, the, the hate that we see around us, the lack of love. And hear the words of Jesus, the challenge to put our lives on his teaching. You have heard the law that says love your enemy and love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Here is the foundation and bedrock. Here is the person who lived this even till his final breath. This is someone we can trust. And as we pray, I just want you to consider this year in 2023. What can you do? What steps might you take to learn to put your trust and your hope in the foundation that is Jesus? Let's pray together. Jesus, we are invited from on all sides to build our own foundations, to scramble, to expend so much energy, to gather wealth, to try and exercise power, to put on a show, to build an identity that's acceptable to the world. And you tell us to put it down, to come to you, to accept that we don't know everything, that we struggle and God, sometimes in our arrogance, we can find this difficult. I pray by your Holy Spirit, come and give us the humility and the grace to realize that we need you. I pray, give us a deep curiosity to want to find out more about this foundation that you provide. Give us courage to put a step onto that foundation, to learn to trust you. Jesus, you promise never to let us down. And I pray that you would give us the strength to put our hope in you. Amen.